What must it have been like? What must it have been like? For three and a half years, we have walked with this man. For three and a half years, we have listened to him. And when we heard what he said, wasn't there happening in our souls something that had never happened before? For all of the words and all of the services we have attended. All that the priests and the rabbis have taught us. All of it combined didn't do in us what the simple words of this man did in us. Did we not feel the stirring of our hearts? Did we not feel increased hope and joy and peace and excitement? When we saw what he did, When he, we saw his care and his kindness, when we watched him stoop down and minister to people in a way that no one else had ever done. When we fellowship with him and we ate around the campfire with him, beginning to build up in our hearts, in our minds, in our hope. Is this the one? Is this the one whom God has promised to send to deliver us from the hands of our enemy. Is this the one? Could it be? And we began to realize how much that everything else in our lives began to diminish and pale in comparison to just being with and hearing and watching 
this man. We didn't realize how much this man meant to us and how much we meant to him. This might be the man for whom we have waited over several thousand years. We've even heard him say about himself, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the branch. No man has spoken like this. No man has given us such hope. But then the most awful, horrible disaster has occurred. The officials crucified him. And he died and he was buried. And the last three days, to say that they have been dark in our souls, in our minds, is a major understatement. Even the air we breathe is almost suffocating us. Because everything we had experienced, everything we had hoped for, is over. It's over. There's no more hope. There's nothing to look forward to. Tomorrow morning we'll go back to work. And what does it mean? We'll go back to the neighborhood and do our chores. So what? Because you see, we feel as if our life itself has been snuffed out. When this man took his last breath. And in addition, all the prophecies, our great word 
from God himself. What did they mean? Can we believe them anymore? Is there any such thing as God really loving us? How do we know whether our scriptures are the truth now? How do we know that the promises of Isaiah and Zechariah and Malachi and so many others will be fulfilled? We had hoped. We had hoped. You see, until the dawning of the first day, there was no hope. There was no truth. There was no reality. All of this had transpired for what? For nothing. We just as soon go home and try to live our lives in the most normal way that we can. How important is the resurrection? That's just a very small drop in the ocean of significance. But you see, three days later, on the first day of the week, he who was the lamb to be slain was put in the tomb. Ah! <laughs> but three days later, the lion came roaring forth in victory forever. Amen? All that God had promised has been substantiated. Everything has been proven. See, the question is, how do I know God loves me? Well, we look to the cross, correct? I like participation, friends. Gina, how do you know God loves you? You look where? To the cross. But if there is no resurrection, Becky, that is just a man who died thinking that he was the Son of God. Because you see, everything that is written in the Word of God 
from Genesis 1-1 until that moment and then forward to the end of Revelation has been substantiated and proven as the absolute forever truth by God when he raised up his son from the dead. How do I know Christianity is the message of God to the world that in trusting what that one man did in his life and in the cross, in his death and burial, how do I know? How do I know that it was God? Where's the proof? Where is the proof, church? In the resurrection. There are a lot of ways to share the gospel. There are a lot of discussion and explanations that can and should be made, especially when you're talking to those who are not understanding or not believers or those of another religious persuasion. But the one central necessity is the resurrection as the proof. So when you share the gospel, share all of the gospel. In the day when Paul was ministering to the churches, the church in Corinth had some questions about the resurrection. Some people said that Jesus rose, some didn't believe it. You know, it's one of those things. Now, let's face it. The percent of people who genuinely believe, not only intellectually, cognitively, but believe in their hearts. In other words, that it is literally, personally part of their being that Jesus rose from the dead. The percent of people is small. Because basically people don't believe it. So what do you do with that? Well, Paul, in the beginning of the 15th chapter of Corinth, deals with the issue. He begins this way. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance. I deliver to you three things, three truths. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he, was that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And so he is going to help the church understand the significance and the relevance of the resurrection to their personal lives as they pertain to their relationship and fellowship and with God and hope for eternal life. So look what he does. You go down to chapter thir uh, verse 13. And here's what he says. He says, if there is no resurrection, now listen to these words very carefully. If there is no resurrection of the dead, what? What? Not even Christ has been raised from the dead. 
You see, if there's no resurrection, everything we do is in vain. The crux of the matter is this, that in raising Jesus from the dead, God has demonstrated the validity, the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God and that everything that he has done and everything that he has said is actually the truth. So Paul continues in verses 14 and 19, and he says, and if Christ has not been raised, if there's no resurrection, Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is useless. What are you hoping in? Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also whom, who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, in other words, no resurrection, we are of all men most to be pitied. But what? What does it say in verse 20? What does he say in verse 20? Do you have a Bible? Do you have it open? Is it in the notes? You need to know it. He says, if, 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 if. Yeah, but what does he say in verse 20? But what? Phil, I can't hear you. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of them that slept or those died. The fact of history is this. The resurrection is real. One of the things we're going to be doing in School of the Word, which we have every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to respond when someone says, Jack, they say, I don't believe in the resurrection. Don't believe in it. Is that Jack? Yeah. What are you going to tell them? You have to have some proof. So we're going to talk about that. So how do we know Jesus died for our sin? Here's what the Apostle Paul tells the, the church in Rome. In Romans 1.4. Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God raised him from the, from the dead for various reasons, but we're just going to keep our minds on a couple of ones this morning. And then in Romans 4.25, Paul connects Jesus' death he died for what? He was delivered over for what? Our sins. And I think it's in the notes. He died to forgive us our sins, the cross. But also what? He was raised for our justification. In other words, he was raised in order that God, did you hear me? Jesus died, the blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. But he was raised in order that God would apply to my life and your life, would be giving us the good 
or applying to me and to you that forgiveness to us personally when he raised Jesus from the dead. So you see, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, the blood was shed for no purpose. For he didn't die for his own sins because he was without sin. So there has to be a resurrection, which means this, that the cross and the resurrection are both equally significant and necessary. Amen? Both. You can't have one without the other. So there's a lot of things we know now because of the resurrection. And so what I want to do is just to list some things this morning that I felt the Holy Spirit gave to me as we we're talking about this morning. I want to remind us of what this day means, at least within the perspective of what we have received. It means so much more than that, but at least within that context. The resurrection is God's way of causing us to know the truth. As I said, beginning in Genesis 1-1 all the way through to Revelation. So let's look at what Jesus' resurrection tells us. First of all, we know this. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. Did you hear that? That in this man... God himself, God the Father, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, lived in this man and spoke through this man and ministered through this man and experienced in this man our humanity. This man is the living incarnation of the very God of glory. Either he is or he isn't. But how do we know that he actually is who he said he was? How do we know it? The resurrection. How do you know? You just can't be saying these things. There has to be some proof. And this is irrefutable proof. You see... What this does, now let's think about it. Now, this is not going to be a popular thought. What about other religions of the world? What about all those people out there? Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. You name it. What about them? The resurrection says that their religion is not from God. That's not popular. I know it's not popular. But we have to face the facts of what we're dealing with here. The resurrection says this. It validates the words that Jesus said. 
No one comes to the Father except by me. It invalidates every other faith. And God has established forever himself, his way, as the only truth. In the resurrection, we know that Jesus has entered heaven itself to appear for us. And he's appeared there for this purpose, to obtain eternal redemption for us. As we sit here this morning, there is a risen, exalted, reigning, ruling, and soon-to-return man to whom God the Father has given all authority to uphold all things by the word of his power and to govern the universe. Can you imagine this, that God has placed in the hands of a man the rulership of the cosmos. Have you thought of that? And as long as that man sits in the throne of God, we are secure in God's people forever. You see, you may be thinking that what you do and how you do it and what you say and your attitude and your motives have the ability to take you out of the grasp of a mighty God. It ain't happening. In the resurrection, God guarantees, may I repeat that? In the resurrection, God guarantees that the salvation work that he has begun in each one of us, he will what? Bring it to conclusion. You remember Philippians 1.6. The apostle says, For I am persuaded of this very one thing. He who has begun a good work in us by saving us, what? Will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus returns. Nick, how do we know? The resurrection proves that. Butch, how do you know? The resurrection guarantees we know this, that what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 7. For the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. I think it's 1 John 3, 8. Could be wrong there. We know this. How do you know your sins are forgiven this morning? How do you know that? Anybody have an answer? 
Because if you have received Jesus as your Savior, if God has saved you, how do you know your sins are forgiven? The Bible says it. But how do we know that what that word says is the truth? Anybody know the answer? Come on, you can, you can say it. The resurrection. How many of us have from time to time been concerned that maybe we have said or done something that this time God won't forgive us? Anybody ever feel that way? Maybe I've crossed the line. Maybe for the 15th time today, I've thought that. Am I in danger of losing that forgiveness of God, Rob, taking it away from me? Are you in danger? Nope, nope, nope. Are you in danger? Oh, come off it. Are you in danger? No! Let hell itself know. No matter what you do. No, no matter how you kick me around or tempt me, no matter what I'm going through, God guarantees my forgiveness forever. As long as there is a man sitting in the throne of God in whom we are now spiritually located, we are a forgiven people. The only way to be unforgiven is for that man to be cast out of heaven. And Phil, I guarantee that ain't happening, is it, brother? We know that we have been given, been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of the resurrection, we have an inheritance. We have inherited all the blessings of God in Christ given to us applied to us, made real in us as a result of that man who died on the cross rose on the third day. That's how I know. I understand we know because of what we feel and what we've understood or whatever, but the real basic kernel of knowledge and a proof is that the resurrection and in the resurrection God has proven that all that he has said, all that he has done, all that he has promised is going to happen. We know that we are the beloved children of God. We know that because of the resurrection. We know that Romans 5, 5 is true. But the love of God has been what? Poured or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How are you sure? Andy, how are you sure? The resurrection. How are we sure, David, how are we sure the resurrection? 
How do you know that what you teach those young guys when you all get together on Sunday morning is the truth? How do you know that? Hmm? That's right. Resurrection. Charles, how do you know that you have a future in heaven for sure? How do you know that? The resurrection. But there's more. You see, the resurrection does not only prove that everything that Jesus said and did is the truth. But what he said he is going to do and what is he going to do as surely as he has come the first time say it Wayne I can't hear you brother one more time you're a loud mouth say it come on he's coming back church Jesus is coming back no no he is coming back does it look like it does it feel like it where is the hope of his coming the resurrection it says that as surely as he came the first time, Michael, Laura, the first time, as surely as he is the risen son of God, what he said about his return is going to happen. You see, the resurrection, Rodney, guarantees that he who has come is coming back. Now that should get you excited. He's coming back. How do I know it, Aaron? The resurrection tells me that. Glenn, how do I know Jesus is coming back? Michael, the resurrection. Cody, the resurrection. Josh, the resurrection. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> now, I have to remember that tomorrow morning. When life begins to sound that it's more loud than the resurrection. Do, do you, you know what I'm talking about? That when it looks like everything is falling apart, ultimately, is anything falling apart? No. Do we have hope beyond the grave? You see, what's going to happen is this. Now, when, I don't know, but I believe soon. What's going to happen is this. One day, one day, how do I know? Because 
the resurrection proves it. And those of you who are sitting here this morning and you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, listen. One day, from heaven, somewhere out there in the clouds, you're going to hear what? The blast of a trumpet. And the sky will open. And descending from the sky will be a glorified man. Surrounded by the clouds. That doesn't mean physical clouds. It means those who have gone ahead of us. And he's coming back. And he's coming back to render judgment. And everyone who has ever lived upon the earth will stand before the throne of this mighty resurrected man and be judged in relation to one thing only. Did you trust me? Have you been born again? Not whether you're Democrats or Republicans. Not whether you are one color or another color. Not whether you're male or female. But there's coming a judgment. A judgment. How do I know? The resurrection proves it. This morning you're sitting here and you realize, mm, I, you know, I've kind of liked everything this old guy has said, but that kind of bothers me. If you're not saved, it should frighten the hmm out of you. Because there is coming a judgment. You see, everything that God said in the word is going to take place. There is coming a judgment. But in the resurrection, those who are trusting Jesus as their Savior, not in what they've done, their good works, their church, whatever. Oh, well, I'm Baptist, I'll die Baptist. I'm this, I'll die, whatever. Because when Jesus comes back, the resurrection shows us this. He will transform this humble, lowly body to be conformed to his glorious body. Do you know what that means? Yeah, some of you better really clap. Yeah. I'll tell you what you mean. Here's what's going to happen. When you go home, especially in the morning, turn on the light in your bathroom, Austin, and look in the mirror. Now, you may think you're good looking, and of course, Carly believes you are. So in a few more days, I've got to get married. Luke, you may think you're good looking, but God knows better. <laughs> Look in the mirror. And if you can stand it, know this, that that Man, that woman, that young person 
who stands in front of me in this mirror with all the wrinkles and whatever and moving around and, you know, and I can't hear without my, and I can't see my, I can't, I can't even jump up and down for happy day anymore because of the brace on my foot. That bothers me. One day, this old bag of bones, when that trumpet sounds, is going to be transformed in an instant. I will keep the same body. I know that's disappointing to you. You're going to keep the same body. You're not going to get somebody else's body. But that body will be a glorified body as the body of Jesus is. Remember, Jesus looks the same. Remember that? Without any spot or wrinkle. Without any old age spots. Without any disease. Without the necessity of medications. It will be a perfect body. Constructed in a way that it will live forever in eternity. That's right. That's right. Ah. But here's the flip side. I remember at a funeral, I've forgotten exactly what the fellow asked me. But I said, no, death isn't, everybody gets a new body. Did you hear me? Ben, did you just hear what I said? Everyone gets a new body. Everyone. Everyone will have a body that will endure forever, live forever. That's not the question. The question is, where? Where? Either in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. Or in that other place, which we don't like the word hell. Everybody in this room, all of us, will get a new body one day. Every one of us, Tom. The question is, where are you going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever? Either with the Lord or away from his presence. How do I know that? The resurrection guarantees it. This morning at the end of the service... If you are unsettled by some of this, and you should be if you don't know Jesus. Frank Loria and his gang will be down here. Frank, raise your hand so they'll see you, brother. It's a good-looking man with all the silver. And he will be glad, he and Annette and others will be glad to pray for you. Because this is what we hope this morning. Not only those who are Members of God's eternal family are encouraged no matter what happens in this life. I am secure in the hands of this eternal God to live with him forever because of the resurrection. But if you are listening and you realize 
I'm not sure. I've never thought of this. I've always assumed it didn't matter. <laughs> and you want to be sure. You want to know. Come down in front and see Franklin and Annette who will be standing right over here. Because we want to have the opportunity of sharing with you what is going on in your heart so that you may be ushered in to God's eternal kingdom today because of the resurrection of Jesus. So, Steve, now that we know it, now that we know that Jesus did rise from the dead. Folks, there ain't no question. It did happen. Now that we know that Jesus did rise from the dead, let's answer some of the questions that Paul asks in Romans 8, 35. Let's answer these questions in view of the resurrection. What is going to separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? Will distress? Will persecution? Will famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? What's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ? Nothing. How do I know it? Donnie, because of the resurrection, I know that. I know it not by looking at my own life and my own abilities and my own experiences and my own level of obedience. I know it because God has raised a man in whom he has forgiven us and in whom we are now sitting positionally with Christ in the throne of God, never to be taken away unless Jesus himself departs. You see, Dennis, that's how secure, that's how secure. Therefore, with great confidence in the power of God's, let's read what the Apostle Paul says. I can just hear him when he is perhaps pacing up and down, speaking these words, and the amanuensis, what is the, the, uh, the scribe is taking down these words. Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit revelation as he walks up and down speaking these words. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Let me just say this before I continue. Jesus' death was death's death. Jesus' death was death's death. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So listening to that, do you believe that there's something you can do that is greater than what we have listed here that can separate you from the love of God in Christ? 
No. So, let's stand and let's proclaim the victory of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead.
Give me a moment. Give me a moment. One more time. There's no way to do this just once. But this time, let me encourage you. I remember years ago, we were at a Sovereign Grace Conference, standing way in the back of the room, and there was some maniac called C.J. Mahaney, jumping, yelling and screaming, waving his hands all over the place. And the Lord said to me, I want you to do that. You see, if the saints win, hey, 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 I want you to do that. And I said, but I'm English. I was born in London, England. I'm English. <laughs> I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit broke something in me and released something in me that now, at least figuratively because of my foot, I can run and jump because of this happy day. If I could, I'd be down there running and jumping. Let's sing it one more time and break out of your habit and actually you can dance, you can jump, you can yell, whatever, because this is a happy day that we'll have forevermore because of the resurrection. Let's proclaim it to the God of glory. If you aren't happy today and you want to experience the joy of the Lord, Annette and Frank are coming right down to the front here. Come on down, Frank. It's okay. And they want to share with you how today may be the day for the first time you experience the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Be blessed and have a great rest of the day.